0: So it's been a while, but uh, when John called me a week ago and said, Spark, would you preach for me? I'm like, no. <laughs> that was my first response. And he got real quiet. I go, oh, all right, let me pray about it. So, which us in Christian terms, right, let me pray about it is usually a no, but, you know, thank God tapped me on the shoulder. So, so um I am uh, spark and I think you all know that, but uh, served with love in the name of Christ of Lake County for over 14 years. And interestingly enough, I am still very much engaged with that ministry. I'm on two uh, boards right now, uh, committees, board committees and uh, one church development and love that ministry. Uh, but I'm also now serving in a ministry called Nexus, church planting and leader care. And what Nexus does is support new church work all across the country. Um, we, uh, my role there is to oversee the new churches when they start. We have what's called a management team that oversees the church and kind of acts as the elders until the elders emerge and just uh, love the whole thing. And um, we're really all about this go uh, the Matthew 28, which is what God put on my heart to share tonight. Um, our mission is to multiply disciples that multiply disciples that plant churches that plant churches. So uh, we're at about 70 right now. And I am this year. Uh, I've started since uh, 2019. We have six new churches right now that are in the pipeline and, and starting all over like Oklahoma, Texas. And uh, they're all young. They're like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So they keep me young, I, th- I think, or they probably hang up the phone or hang up on the Zoom and go, man, he's way out. But anyway, so God put on my heart to talk about Matthew 28. Some of it, I think, is because of it's just what we are about, Nexus is about, you guys are about, and that is the Great Commission. But kind of looking back at it, Uh, Matthew 28 starts out with some exciting news. I read Pastor Chuck Smith's message on this, and he made the point that some people say there's a lot of discrepancies between the gospels about what happened when Jesus, when Mary and went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away. But he said it's just different perspectives of the same story. But here's the thing that I kind of took out of this kind of four things out of all the Gospels in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. One thing is for sure they all agree on is that Jesus is alive. And that is John reminded me in um, First Corinthians 15. Let me get over to my little tab there (coughs) that um, where he. He said, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the bottom line is, Jesus is alive, and we serve a living, holy God. Amen? Amen. And um, the tomb was empty. Uh, They were afraid. Jesus appeared to them, and he said, rejoice, right? So there was a level of excitement about the fact that Jesus was alive even though they forgot that jesus said this would happen that he would have to go through the death barrel and resurrection in order to save us from our sins right i mean that's the pure gospel i had the opportunity i was uh, my daughter and son-in-law live in cookville tennessee and believe it or not i was down there for easter and they had uh, robertson uh, one of the duck dynasty guys was their church had him preach right and his whole thing was pure gospel jesus came jesus walked to teach us how to live right he died so that our sins are forgiven and rose again and went to heaven so sits in the right hand of god the father the pure gospel right that is the good news that we're all about right I know Calvary is, and I know Nexus is in all our churches. That's why they're planting churches and trudging new ground, because people need to know this, right? So, um, <clears throat> but there's another thing that's common among these Gospels that kind of popped out to me in Matthew, and that's Matthew 28:16 and 17, that there was doubt. There was pure excitement by Mary and all that found, you know, the angel appeared and the stone was rolled away, right? But when they ran and told the disciples who were with Jesus, right, for three years or whatever, and said, told them they had doubts, right? They had doubts. And so something consistent in the gospel is there is doubt. And Jesus appeared to them and that doubt was still there, right? But they started believing what Jesus said. You know, when you go and you look at, um, you look at, I believe it's in Luke 24, uh, the road to Emmaus, right? The two guys on the road to the Emmaus. And what, am I going to be okay if I, okay, good, thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm not used to that technology, just saying. But... Um, you know, they were... Let me see if I can find it here because I have it. Um, then when those names were clear answered, Jesus, answered, Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? They said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty. See, prophet mighty. They didn't grab that he was the savior, right? And indeed, and word before God and all the people, and now the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified, but we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since this happened. Yes, and a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, When they said when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said. He said, Oh foolish ones, you slow of heart, believe and all the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ have suffered? But they doubted, right? So how many of you have went? and shared the gospel with someone that's an unbeliever and they accepted it right away. Never, because it's hard to, there's a couple problems with it, right? The first one is you got to grapple with the fact that you're a sinner, right? Because most of the time, especially in this day and age, that sin word is kind of an ugly word and no one wants to say it. I taught, I facilitated a um, starting point class And, um, there was a section on there that talked about sin and what, what the teacher talked about was the fact that, um, what we like to say is we made a mistake, right? Or we continue to make mistakes, right? He says, I continue to make a mistake. And he says, you know, the problem with a mistake is that it undermines what really happened that you sinned against God, right? You broke one of God's commands. And because of that, without the salvation and without the power of Christ, you're condemned and you're under his wrath. Right. But no one wants to hear that. They want to hear this is a loving, holy God. Well, he is. Right. But the bottom line is you got to come to repentance. And people don't like that word because that's turning away from their life and turning towards. So they have doubts. But you don't give up on them. Right. You don't give up on them. Because no one gave up on me, trust me, because I had doubts, right? <laughs> but um, so all the Gospels are pretty clear about the fact that they didn't believe him. Luke twenty four ten eleven. 11, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary and the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed like idle tales, and they didn't believe them. Now, these are the disciples, right? These are, right? They didn't believe him. The third thing that I kind of saw as consistent amongst the Gospels is Satan's lie, right? First off, the guards. In, in Matthew 28, the guards, when the angel appeared, what happened with the guards? The guards were like dead men. Right? A holy God, a holy angel, guards who are, are guarding the tomb, right, fell like they were dead. Also, they already kind of told the Pharisees prior to this that, hey, you know, you might want to guard this tomb because they're saying that Jesus is going to rise in the third day and, you know, they may come and steal the body. And so that's the story that the Pharisees told the soldiers to go tell everybody, right? That they stole and they, if the governor questioned it, they would take care of it. Cause bottom line, these soldiers didn't do their job and they should have been killed, right? I mean, from, from a Roman perspective, they were, they didn't do their job. They didn't guard the body. The body was gone, but we all know that Jesus' resurrection is greater than any evil that can be propagated. But even to this day, there's people that don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe he was a great teacher, he was a great prophet. Some say, you know, he's the brother of Satan and all sorts of stuff like that. But the bottom line is the lie still persists. And the reason the lie persists is because Satan doesn't want anyone. To come to know the truth of the gospel. And again, that's our job, right? To continue to press forward and help lower their, you know, drop their scales in their eyes or open their heart. You know, Jesus has to open their heart. The Holy Spirit has to be engaged in this so that the people can finally see this is real, right? The other thing is there was great joy, right? There was great joy when they finally saw Jesus, the disciples and they really grabbed it. They worshiped him. Mary, Mary fell at his feet and he said, rejoice, right? There is great rejoicing when you have an encounter with Christ. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question to think of back to when you first encountered Christ. You know, when I um, taught a class called Contagious Christian, one of the things in that class was um, your story is probably the best story to tell someone. And so there was an assignment one week during that class where you need to write out a short, try to make it two to three minutes, testimony of your story. And you defined your life before Christ, you defined your encounter with Christ, and then you defined your life after Christ. Now, when I taught that like in a small group setting, it, it always went great. But when I taught it in a classroom setting, like I'd have, it was like a six-week class or whatever, and I would get to this section, right? And let's say I had 25 people in the class. The next week, I was 50% down. And I would follow up with them and go, um, is there something, you know, some of well, I got busy or whatever. And then finally, someone finally said to me, says, you know, When I really sat down and started thinking about my life before Christ, my encounter with Christ, and my life after Christ, there really wasn't much change. And she was convicted. And I said, well, that's a good thing (laughs) because maybe this is your encounter with Christ, that his grace and mercy is here for you, but you got to repent, right? So... (laughs) I don't know about you guys. I do know about you guys because we're family here. But um, I don't know about you in the, in the Internet world. But when I met Christ, it was huge. It was huge. It was just huge. I remember clearly even to this day, I was driving down um, 21. I was going over 294. It was kind of raining. And I had, you know, I just started sobbing because what really came over me was how much he loves me and how forgiven I am because all those sins and all those things that I had done right were just flooding in and how Jesus had washed me and cleansed me with his blood and his forgiveness and the work in the cross that was a big pivotal changing point for me there was others but that was huge i had a i had an encounter with him that was big and rejoice and um something that um I think we can all agree on today is that the world needs Jesus the world needs Jesus we are so lost right now in I believe in America and I listened to um, Greg Laurie in the morning, and he's been talking about this too—revival versus um, a movement of God—and a revival is in the church. A revival is a is a repentance and a move of God in the church, to come to you know realization that we've fallen away. He's teaching through Nehemiah right now, and when Ezra read the law, they all sobbed, right? And then they rejoice, but they realized how far away they were from what God was intending for them, right? But the bottom line is, Jesus is coming back. We all know that. And there's a lot of people that are lost. They don't know they're lost, but they're lost. And they need Jesus just like we need Jesus every day, right? And what I believe God is saying to the church <clears throat> this is something we're doing at Love, Inc. right now. But what is the message to the church of, let's say, Lake County right now? And I I personally think it's let's start working together because there is lost souls every day in this county that don't know the truth about the gospel and how awesome Jesus is. Do you ever think about that? <clears throat> you know, in 1 Peter... Um. Oh, that's not what I want to say. Yeah, Here is that. This is what I want to say. Um, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. This is 2 Peter 3, 9 through 11. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but they should come to repentance. See, there's that repentance word again. Jesus, you are more important than all of this. You are more important than all of this. You died on the cross for me. You are my living holy savior. My relationship with God is secure now because of you and through you. And you have sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in me to help me become more and more the likeness of you. And trust me, I'm not there yet. I was driving here praying, and someone cut me off, and I got really mad. I'm going, okay, that was the flesh, right? <laughs> but um, work in progress here, folks, work in progress. The other thing that's kind of consistent amongst the Gospels, but Matthew 28, this is the heart of Nexus. There's two things about Nexus. We pray every day at 10.02 a.m. Luke 10.02 is the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest for the workers. The harvest is there. The harvest is white. The harvest is is there. But we need he needs the workers to go out and bring them into the kingdom. And the second one is Matthew 28. We're actually talking about tweaking our mission statement to say, we start disciple-making community... Disciple-making communities that multiply disciple-making communities. I'm, I'm a member of Emmanuel Church, and they are really shifting to, if we're not about making disciples, then what are we about? And you have it right here to go, therefore, and make disciples. The promises that I find interesting here is that Jesus will be with us always right if we go and therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them all that he taught lo i've never john maybe you know but i've never understood what lo meant <laughs> but I tried to look it up, but I I don't got my MDiv or nothing like that, so I was like, I'm not going to mess with it. But the bottom line is, to me, in that statement is, I will be with you always, even to the end of the times, right? So I have a little challenge, if you will, for you all. First thing I'm going to ask is that you start praying. I, uh, last year, or gosh, was that... Last year, the year, I don't, you know, it's such a blur with the pandemic and then the racial stuff. Right. But I started really praying and what Lord put on my heart. And I'm sorry, it doesn't include this side. But he said, I started praying for revival and and a move of God. From 45 to Lake Michigan, Wisconsin to Washington Street. I don't know why that just came out of me, but I start further saying, Lord, fill every one of these homes with your presence. And bring people to the understanding, repentance and surrender to walking with you, right? Walking with the Lord. So my question to you is. All of us have a circle of influence. Something that we teach our guys is when you go into a community, try to find a person of peace. Because Jesus taught when he sent them out two by two, that you went in a town and if someone opened their door and, and let you in, you stayed there. But if they didn't, you wiped your feet off and moved on. What that was, was you were looking for people who have an openness to hear the gospel. We kind of call it red light. Yellow and green. Red is, okay, I threw the seed. It's not going anywhere. I'm moving on. I love you, but I'm moving on, right? Yellow is, they're interested. They have doubts, right? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about, right? And those people are open to the gospel. Some would call them agnostic, I love an agnostic because they are this much closer to opening their heart to hearing the truth of the gospel and surrendering their life to Christ. And I've seen it happen. And then green light is they're totally open to hearing it and learning and growing. So tonight, when you walk out, I'm going to challenge you to spend a little bit of time asking God, what is your circle that he has put you in as your, mission, your small mission field, because we all have it. Like my neighborhood, I pray every day for my neighbors. I love them dearly. We've had some spiritual conversations, you know, especially when they find out I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> Sometimes they are like, but most of the time they realize I'm not an obnoxious guy. I'm, I'm just normal like anyone else. But start praying, God, show me who you want me to reach with this good news of the gospel. Show me who you want me to start discipling. You know, I was discipled. When I went, started going to, Cindy and I started going to Northwest Christian Community Church back in 1990, Phil, the pastor, who is the the founder of Nexus, who I now serve with, right? And his wife. He started meeting with me every week. I wasn't reading the Bible. I read the Bible, but it was like, you know the little verse that drives most pastors nuts because it's so totally out of context of what's really going on around it, right? But I go, oh, the Lord spoke to me today and stuff He says, well, that's nice. But we would meet every Monday with a group of guys and we prayed. I learned to pray and fast. I used to I learned how to do days of prayer. He sat down with me and explained to me about baptism by immersion because I had been baptized many different ways, right? And Cindy and I arrived on the same day that we should be baptized by immersion. I read all the scriptures. She read an article from Willow Creek. And so we were baptized together on December 30th, 1990. Thus, the 90 in my email. But he met with me every week. Eventually I went into full-time ministry with him. He left me, I was pastoring, and then I had another guy come into my life, John Pinnell. My buddy, we met every week, right? You taught me all about end times and how important that was. Because I would say, John, I don't got my MDM, what are you talking about? He says, it doesn't matter. This is really important stuff, foundational to what you believe. And it was good, it was really good. Went through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, right? The way of the master, but I've been discipled and I disciple people. But the bottom line is who are you? Who has God put in your life to do that with, to pour into? You all have them. You all living this out. But who are they? And I also find something else interesting about this. You know, these people aren't clean when they come to you, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them. So the first thing is they've got to come to realize they need Jesus, right? Sharing the gospel and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a big thing in my movement that my tribe I'm involved in. But um, the bottom line is coming to their faith, And then pouring into them and helping them discover the beauty of all of Christ's teaching. And it comes alive because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them. It's amazing to see. How many of you have experienced that? Discipling someone. I know you have, John. But Yeah. It's amazing when you start seeing God taking home. I had a guy just recently. um, He's out in. Oregon or whatever. And he sent me a letter because I met with him and another guy every week. And we read, we were, we read, we were reading the Bible, the chronological order. So we were going the whole Bible and every week we had reading and then we would sit down and say, what did God say to you? And what are you going to do about it? Right? It was that simple. What did God say to you through the word? And what are you going to do about it? And he, to this day, He says, spark, because of you spending your time with me, I am where I am in my walk. So my challenge is start praying about five, maybe five people, write them down, and start praying for them every day. I have have five right now that I pray for every day that God would either bring someone into their life or use me in some way to help them come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then however he wants to use me to help disciple them into a deeper walk. Use me. Right. There's people in your life right now that might not like you (laughs) because you represent the light. Right. But, Through your love, they may start melting. They may start melting. Think of the woman at the well, right? Everyone hated her. (laughs) She was a terrible sinner, and Jesus asked her for water. And she melted, right? Because she had an encounter with the real Christ. This world needs us to be Jesus to people who don't know him. This world needs us more than ever to be Jesus towards people that don't know him because that's the only way this world's going to change. That's the only way the United States is going to change. That's the only way our communities are going to change. Our families is the power of the gospel because the gospel is powerful. So I walk away tonight with two assignments that I'm doing myself, right? One is, who are you praying for? And two, God, how do you want to use me to live out the Great Commission? It might be as simple as a prayer. Hey, can I pray for you? We just did a seminar, and a webinar on that. There's a whole thing where you're you can offer prayers for people on the internet. I thought that seems weird, but at the end you say, hey, we're having church Sunday, why don't you come on by? Love to meet you, face to face, right? I remember there was a lot of times where prayer was the entryway. They were struggling, whatever, I said, hey, can I just pray for you? And we would pray and you would just see the shackles just, right? Because most people know that they're missing something, right? Most people know there's there's a hole there. I mean, Jesus, the word says in Ecclesiastes, right? God put it in us. But they're trying to fill it with all sorts of other stuff. When the true answer is who we love and who we shine. So with that, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for um, this time with my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I do pray that you challenge all of us to show us those people that are in our lives that you want to use us to bring them the joy of repentance and complete surrender to you, Jesus. And that transformed life begins through disciple-making and teaching them all that you have taught us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.